When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, tonight's story takes place in a very terrifying cabin out in the middle of the woods, and I won't give you any more than that. I hope that's enticing enough for you to stick around, but I do have a question. Those who are fans of hiking or camping or just being in the outdoors, maybe you have a cabin or you've rented one before, what's the scariest or unsettling experience you've ever had? while doing that. Me personally, I've only gone camping a handful of times and I was never really, I was too young to really remember any of it, but there was one time when I was a teenager, maybe 14, 15, maybe even 16, uh, myself and a friend of mine were going into the woods to smoke some weed, as you do as a 16-year-old, and we we're sitting at our normal spot and everything just kind of got quiet for a second. And I made the joke that, you know, this must be some really strong shit because I can't hear anything. But when I said that, I, my friend looked at me with this look of like, just knowing that when he looked at me, I would recognize that he felt the same way. He couldn't hear anything either. We could hear each other, but at least to me, it was almost like a tunnel vision, like it was muffled in a way. And it was really unsettling once I realized that he was feeling the same thing I was feeling. And I remember looking around because accompanying this feeling of not being able to hear, I started to feel watched. Now, where we did this wasn't far away from a house someone's it was woods that someone owned and they didn't really mind you going back there there was a pond back there to fish and things but they weren't always susceptible to it and we respected that when they told us to leave but this felt different they would never sneak up on us or try to scare us or anything like that it was an older couple you know they were respectable they were nice um so as I'm looking around, I notice a deer standing off in the distance. And it's strange to say this now, but I almost couldn't really make it out. It was there, and I could tell that it was there, but something about it looked off. Like, it looked blurry. It looked strange. It's it's hard to explain. It's like it was there, but it wasn't really there. And I turned to my friend, and I saw that he was staring at it as well. And I asked him, you know, what should we do? Should we leave? Should we just get out of here? He said, he looked at me and he's like, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea. And as we both turned, almost like in slow motion to look back at this deer, all of our senses came back. 
suddenly we were hearing birds and the wind and the leaves rustling and strangely enough we never heard the pitter-patter or the stomping of a deer running off but when we turned and looked back that deer or whatever it was was gone it's something i'll never forget and it has stayed with me damn near 15 years at this point I'll be 30 in October, and that happened when I was around 15 or 16, and even recounting it now, it's, I can still feel that fear that I felt that day when it happened. But that's just me. Maybe we were high. I mean, we were, but maybe that's what caused it. Maybe we were just tripping a little too hard. Maybe there was something in the weed. I don't know. But... (laughs) There's that small part of me that says, maybe there wasn't. Maybe you weren't as high as you think you were. Maybe something was wrong with that deer that you saw on that day. Maybe it wasn't a deer at all. Let me know what you think down in the comment section below, and let me know what you've experienced out there in the woods. And now, let's get into tonight's story. It was Max who reacted to the noises more than I did at first. He was part beagle, part velociraptor, his mind anyway, but he was a full-on bloodhound when a scent or sound caught his attention. I'd only lived in the cabin for a few weeks, hoping for some isolation to finish writing the novel I'd been working on for the better part of five years. Okay, uh, working on is a bit of an exaggerated way of saying I'd been mentally plotting it out for a good half a decade, but that's beside the point. Having lived in a fairly bustling apartment building since moving out of my parents' house, it wasn't always easy to stay focused with noisy neighbors and traffic driving by. That's the very reason I decided to move out to this spot, a good way from the beaten path. Other than some camping trips when I was a kid, I didn't have much experience being surrounded by nature. For the most part, I managed to ignore the sounds of the wind blowing through the branches or the wildlife scurrying around. Max, however, had not been a fan since we moved in. Most days, he would just grunt or growl as leaves brushed up against the exterior walls and windows, but he grew so much more erratic when the more deliberate-sounding noises began. I don't know if that's the best way to phrase that, but they seemed far less random than in the soundtrack of the forest. I began to take things a bit more seriously when I was awakened in the middle of the night by my bedroom window, cracking from something slamming against it. I practically jumped from my bed, scampering to the window to see what was out there. Max was going completely nuts, barking his furry ass off with the hair on his back standing upright. It wasn't exactly an intimidating mutt, but the way he growled at the window made me even more unsettled by it. With the moonlight barely cutting through the dense forest, I couldn't make out much of anything. But the spider-webbed split across my window had me a little more than rattled, even with that little voice in my head arguing that it was nothing more than a tree branch or something tossed by the wind. 
Throwing my robe and muttering curses under my breath, I pulled my flashlight and pistol from my nightstand. I leashed Max to ensure he didn't run off, though he was more of a bark-as-intimidatingly-as-possible-while-hiding-behind-me sort of dog. I flipped on the exterior light, hesitantly creaking open the front door while my faithful companion tucked himself behind my legs, poking his snout between them. Stepping outside, I just stood in the doorway, glancing around the area and guiding my torch from side to side. Sure enough, the wind was quite aggressive, threatening to blow me right back through the entrance, given my shaky and still half-asleep legs. With an exhausted chuckle and a wide yawn, I just headed back inside, shaking my head at my silliness. Max settled down a bit after taking a look outside, but he still seemed a little on edge. Given that he'd been aggressively pulled from his sleep, just like I was, I can only imagine what goes through a dog's mind at such things. I gave him a few treats, leading him back to the bedroom, hopeful that we could both go back to sleep. Before I lay back down, I placed some packing tape along the cracks in my bedroom window, in hopes of preventing them from getting any worse. I knew I'd have to get it fixed soon enough, but I'd hoped this would work until I had the motivation to either fix it myself or call the landlord. For the remainder of the night, every tap against the exterior walls as debris caught the wind spraying my eyelids back open while Max growled from the floor. I even thought I heard some things rolling around inside the cabin, but... I just chalked it up to my sleepy imagination, running wild, combined with my growing frustration. The next day, I placed a few calls, arranging to have my split glass replaced, as well as getting some of the trees right next to the house removed. Dale, my landlord, didn't sound exactly thrilled about it, but with me being the third tenant in a little over a year, he couldn't deny that something had to be done. It was at that point when I should have had the sense to ask more questions about those who'd moved in and back out so swiftly, but the relentless night hadn't left me much sense by morning. I was fighting sleep all day, even while the guys Dale had sent out went to work on the window. It'd still be a few days before the tree removal team came to check things out, but I went ahead and cut down some of the branches right next to the house. The last thing I wanted was to have to arrange to get the damn window replaced again, if that night was as windy as the last. When the noises attempted to interrupt my sleep once more, I ended up choosing to crash on the couch. Yeah, I could still hear them from the living room, the scratching at the doors and walls, just as much as the tapping on the fresh pane of glass, but with how beat I was at that point, I didn't have nearly as much trouble drifting away, even with Max still occasionally grumbling at the front door. Some days later, as my landlord had promised, the tree removal crew arrived. The nights leading up to this had left me both frustrated and exhausted with the regular scuffling and scrapping, but I was hopeful this would do the trick. As it turned out, this was just an evaluation and not the actual removal, but I knew nothing how these things work. 
It'd be another two weeks until they returned to get the job done, but suffice it to say, the lack of fulfilling rest had left me quite on edge. It had escalated to the point at which I was certain there was much more movement outside the house than beyond its walls with how erratic my mental capacity had grown. Each night I found my eyelids springing back open due to one slam here or a scuffing there, accompanied by growling and barking. I'd flip on every light in the cabin, checking every closet and cabinet. I walked around the exterior, my flashlight in one hand, my gun in the other, still finding not the slightest trace of what could be causing the constant ruckus. The restlessness had left my paranoia at an all-time high, to the point I was ready to check into a hotel room for a few nights, just to get my mind right. I loved the cabin and its isolation from the otherwise busy world, but I was certain I'd completely lose my shit if this kept up much longer. Still, I wasn't sure if any hotel would allow Max to stay. I didn't have much experience with those things either, and I wasn't about to leave him alone at the cabin for an extended period. Ultimately, I chose to stick it out and hope for the best. I was beyond relieved when the crew arrived to finally get rid of the trees alongside the walls of the cabin. The process didn't take nearly as long as I was expecting, but Max was going apeshit the entire time. After a long day of growling and barking at the door and walls, the little guy passed out before I did. Before I crashed, my body weary and my mind cluttered from the week's broken sleep, I just stood in the middle of the living room for a time, breathing in the blissful silence. Everything was so wonderfully quiet. When I finally flopped onto my bed, my senses faded into the black within seconds. For those first few hours, I experienced the best sleep I had in possibly my entire adult life. That was until, of course, my dog started going completely nuts again, pulled me swiftly back to the world around me. It wasn't rustling or scraping that I heard, aside from the howling Max, but what sounded like the moaning of a wounded animal. It was a sound that almost inspired my guts to churn, a gargled, vibrating wail of agony. Again, I peered through my bedroom window, unable to make out anything through the darkness. What I could hear, though, while I attempted to silence my dog to the best of my ability, was what sounded like something being dragged across the ground possibly only feet beyond my window. Once more, I repeated the process that had almost become a nightly ritual by this point. Flipping on exterior lights with my gun, flashlight, and leashed Max. Not only was there only a gentle breeze outside, barely causing the dead leaves scattered across the ground to stir, but it was almost eerily silent. 
Whether it had been a wounded animal or something else entirely, it would seem that the lights beaming from the cabin inspired it to either run off or hide quietly. Whatever the case, my still growling dog and my nerves being shot from exhaustion, I was honestly feeling quite uneasy at the time. I closed and locked the door, leaving the porch light burning brightly. Feeling a little more than creeped out, the little voice in the back of my head begging me not to investigate the area this time, I chose to leave it at that for now. The next day, after managing to toss and turn my way back to sleep for a few more hours at least, I took a look around outside, under the hopeful safety of the sunlight. I saw no sign of anything, heaven being wounded or dragged across the scattered leaves. There was no indication of anything out of the ordinary, nothing that raised any red flags. I didn't exactly spend much time on the small deck or gazing into the woods other than to enjoy the occasional blunt to get the creative juices flowing, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Regardless of finding no evidence to support my growing paranoia and relentless restlessness, that was a mouthful, I needed more answers, or at least proof that Max and I weren't collectively going insane. After a quick drive into town to pick up supplies as well as some lunch, I arrived back at the cabin with two trail cameras, a new tablet, a case of beer, and a bag load of fast food. Once mine and my faithful companion had filled our grumbling bellies, I got to work setting things up. I mounted the cameras outside, one right in front of the house, between the front door and my bedroom window, looking out, and the other, close to the tree line, aimed back at the cabin. I considered investing in a few more cameras, placing them around each side of the building as well as inside, but I'd already forked out more cash than I needed to in my efforts to set my mind at ease. The sun was going down as I finished setting everything up, accompanied by droplets of rain trickling upon the leaves scattered across the forest floor. It was at that point as the loud clap of thunder inspired the drizzle to transform into a verbatable monsoon, that two things occurred to me. The first was that I didn't even check to see if the cameras were water-resistant, and the tutorial videos I looked up didn't get into that aspect of them. But I hoped for the best, as they were designed for being out in the elements. The second something that inspired a grateful sigh, almost releasing the tension in my neck, was that the ambient sounds of the storm should provide the blissful lullaby I so desperately needed. Not only that, but perhaps the rain would at least temporarily halt any late-night shenanigans beyond my bedroom window. With the storm raging on, I felt more relaxed than I had in weeks. While I was mentally and physically exhausted, I couldn't resist taking advantage of the weather. I dug out my baggie of emergency herbal creative juice stimulants, rolled two joints, placed three chilled beers in my travel cooler, and headed out to the covered rear deck. Max wasn't the biggest fan of thunder, but I left the back door open just in case he wanted to come out and join me. He'd never been one to attempt to run off, but he'd often hang out with me at times like these. 
Well, it wasn't pouring outside anyway. Between my head growing blissfully light and foggy and the glorious soundtrack of the storm, I'm not sure when I nodded off on that lounge chair, nor what time it was when the aggravated barking of my dog pulled my senses back to the world around me. My mind instantly collided with reality while I almost busted my ass as I leaped to my feet. At first, with the back door still being ajar, I worried that Max had indeed scampered away. But when I sprinted into the house on my still drowsy legs to see him growling and scratching at the front door, I was quite unnerved, to say the least. I couldn't convince him to settle down or back away from the entrance of the cabin no matter what I tried. I screamed his name, petted the raised fur on his back, and even shook his bag of treats, but he wouldn't budge. After a solid half hour, he finally began to calm down, but still occasionally grumbled, staring knives at the door. I went ahead and popped open another beer. After bringing the cooler inside and locking up for the night, grabbing my tablet to see if the cameras might have picked up whatever had Max so spooked. Given that the storm was still going strong, not quite as violently as it was when I passed out, but still showing no signs of dwindling, I couldn't make out much of anything from the camera by the tree line. The other one, however, the one looking out from the base of the cabin, appeared to have been completely snuffed out. When I went back through the footage from before it went dark, I felt my already shaky legs attempting to give out from beneath me. Some 20 or 30 minutes before my dog awakened me from my sleep, it looked like some sort of slender, hunched-over figure was outside, steadily approaching the house. All I could see was the darkened outline of the forest, in between the stabs of lightning, making it look like an eerie, old stop-motion video, the shadowed figure having moved closer with every flash. With another blink of light revealing the silhouette only feet from the camera, the next one showed only the vacant forest. One final stab of lightning presented me with the last image the camera captured. A pure white, almost translucent and bloodshot eye gazing directly into the lens. I swear it felt like it was glaring right through my eyes and into the squishy center of my brain for minutes in that brief flash of light. My mind was reeling, my heart racing with every disturbing scenario that flooded my thoughts. Whatever it was that put an end to the footage clearly had some sort of intelligence. Enough to know it was being watched, anyway. With the bizarre nature of the video blinking from dark to brief flashes of light, I couldn't tell exactly how it moved, and once I finally got up the nerve to rewatch it, it looked to be somewhat human in its appearance, but its stature was far more primal and animalistic. Perhaps this was not the best-case scenario for a more imaginative mind thrusting thoughts of anything from cryptids to wayward aliens against the forefront of my brain, but I knew I had to get a handle on myself. One thing was certain, though. I would not be sleeping again any time soon. Not in this cabin. Not until I got some answers.
Once I managed to regulate my breathing and crazy thoughts, I called the police. I wasn't about to investigate this alone, even with only the sounds of the dwindling storm beyond the walls. Max was still acting uneasy, stealing glances at the door on occasion, but he was no longer growling or barking. With it being close to five in the morning at this point, the 911 operator seemed reluctant to send anyone out at first, recommending that I wait until sunup. After I described what I saw in the footage, he assured me that a squad car would be there within the hour. A good two hours later, as the sun began to rise, I heard the car pulling up. Between the rain still coming down quite heavily and the world beyond these walls, no longer cloaked in darkness, I was fairly certain that they wouldn't find anything. The officers were friendly enough, while obviously irritated about having to come out at this hour. They walked around the cabin for a while, after I showed them the unsettling footage, but they didn't find anything more than the damaged camera. It looked as though it had been nailed by a baseball bat, the entire casing split in multiple places, and the screen shattered. Officer Grange, the taller and younger of the two, appeared a little unnerved by both the damage to the trail cam and the silhouetted figure in the video. He assured me that there was no trace of anything to worry about in the vicinity of the cabin or any sign of someone attempting to break in. I told him about the unsettling noises over the previous weeks, but he shrugged those off. He said that a forest at night can produce a wealth of eerie sounds between the wind and the wildlife, suggesting that I was simply not used to my surroundings yet. Given that I was accustomed to a more populated area, I couldn't deny that he was likely right. But that didn't make me feel any more at ease with my current situation. Once they headed out, certain that whoever had smashed my camera was likely long gone by now, I locked up and fell into my bed. With how exhausted my body and mind were by this point, I passed right out, even with my thoughts still all over the place. The following morning, I made a trip into town to replace the broken camera, along with a small cage to hopefully protect it from further attacks. When I returned to the cabin to find the door open, and no trace of Max, I felt my heart practically leap into my throat. I ran inside, barely registering the split wood around where the doorknob used to be, calling out for my dog. Without the slightest whine or moan replying to me, I sprinted back outside, practically screaming the name of my faithful companion. Still nothing. Not as much as the rustling of the dried leaves or scampering squirrels. Before I headed back into the cabin, trying to figure out if I should call the authorities again, I inspected the one remaining camera, mounted by the tree line. To my surprise, it still had not suffered the same fate as its sibling, and I hoped that it could reveal what went on over my brief trip into town. Fighting to convince my near-spasming fingers to obey my commands as they trembled against the screen of my tablet, I finally managed to cue the most recent footage. I watched 
As my truck pulled away, the echoing sounds of Max barking, his pleas to not be left alone in the background. With my chaos-fueled thoughts, his bargaining yelps inspired a sensation of guilt, driving a series of nails into my chest. As the video progressed, showing nothing more than the wind stirring in the leaves, I managed to regulate my breathing and racing heart, something that didn't last for long. As the barking began to settle down, Max having finally accepted my departure, the next few minutes passed uneventfully. It was until the barking not only resumed, but grew more frantic than before. It was no longer the hopeless yelps of a dear friend, upset that his roommate had ditched him, but the frenzied and borderline manic howls of anger and fear. It took me a moment to register what was happening. As my eyes panned across the screen. But when I focused on the ground, maybe 15 to 20 feet from the patio, where the forest appeared to be swelling beneath the leaves, I could almost feel my heart stop cold. I'd been pacing back and forth with my device clenched between both hands, but when a slender and bony hand reached to the ground like an undead rising from its grave, I found myself stumbling in search of the closest chair. I fell into the plush, cushioned seat of my recliner, my jaw unhinged at the sight of the skeletal figure as it appeared to be birthed by the dirt and grass. Max was wailing even louder as I whispered words of denial to the imagery before me. Long, matted, stringy hair fell upon the bony shoulders of the hauntingly slender man as he approached the door, dragging his bare feet across the ground like a pouting child. He was wearing only torn and stained jeans that hung from his scrawny frame as though there were no legs with them. Stopping short, only a foot or two from the door, he tilted his head to the ground, his hair peeling away from his shoulders as he hunched over. Crouching down almost to a sitting position, he raised back up with something in his hand, resuming skidding his heels closer to the door. The footage was somewhat grainy, making it difficult to make out what he held, but as he raised it above his head, I could see the rough shape of the hefty rock before he slammed it down upon the knob, protruding from the door. Over and over again, he crashed the large stone against the knob until it tore away from the door, falling to the wooden deck below. He did not enter, only stood before the entryway as it creaked open ever so slightly. With Max barking all the more aggressively, neither the one before nor the one behind the door showed any motivation to pass through. It felt as though there was a silent staring match going on, both participants daring the other to make the first move. When the slender figure began to back away, turning slowly with his head still tilted, revealing only that matted hair and emaciated chest, I tried desperately to release the breath I was holding. He showed no haste in his movements as he returned to the spot from which he had exited the forest floor. Lowering himself to his knees, he leaned over with his arms outstretched, slowly slithering into the earth like a creeping snake. I watched on in horror until the ground had swallowed him whole, leaving barely a trace of his arrival. 
I still gazed on, slack-jawed and trembling, zoned in on that patch of dirt and dead leaves, just waiting for the figure to spring back out. It wasn't until the unyielding barks grew a little louder when I noticed the door to the cabin creaking open with a curious Max peeking his snout across the threshold. I shouted at my tablet, begging my faithful hound to stay, my heart threatening to tear itself in two. I continued my pointless bargaining as my dog strolled under the front desk, sniffing the wooden planks in between his barks. He still sounded agitated, but more focused on his investigation, edging closer to the spot from which the figure had both appeared and vanished. I knew what was coming. As Max stopped in place, brushing the leaves with the tip of his nose, but when that skeletal hand sprang from the earth, snatching him by the collar, a muffled howl was all he was able to let loose before he was pulled into the earth. Momentarily paralyzed by the events I'd just witnessed, I sat there, my flesh spasming from head to toe, snapping myself back to reality. I jumped to my feet, running to my bedroom to grab my gun and tossing my tablet on the bed. I pulled it from my nightstand with one hand, dialing 911 with the other. The operator told me to stay put until a squad car would arrive. My thoughts were so frantic by that point, I had no idea what to do. I just paced back and forth with a woman on the other end of the line, making her best attempts to calm me down. I had just about convinced myself to take a seat and wait for the police to arrive. When I grew aware of a scuffing sound beyond the splayed open front door. Standing at the entrance to my bedroom, the voice of the operator fading into an echo behind my fear, I backed into the room, closing and locking the door before me. I cut my eyes to the gun in my hand the window of my bedroom into the tablet resting face down on the bed. I picked it up, my violently trembling fingers once more battling to navigate the touchscreen, pulling up the ongoing footage from the trail cam mounted at the tree line. He was just standing there at the front door again, seemingly glaring at the entrance. I whispered this to the 911 operator while she demanded that I remain in place until the officers arrive. When I heard the creaking of the boards of the front deck and saw that haunting figure on the screen walking, stalking closer by the second, my rational mind was completely muted by fear. I dropped my phone as I charged the door to my bedroom, throwing it open to see the pale, wrinkled flesh and skeletal frame standing on the threshold, the stringy gray and muddy hair only parted enough to reveal that pure white and bloodshot eye gazing into mine, but that haunting gaze almost froze me in place. As he took one more step, crossing from the outside world to the one within these wooden walls, I snapped out of my paralyzed trance, holding my gun outstretched. I'll do it! I said, the cold metal shivering in my hand. The man only staggered closer still, gazing into my fracturing mind. I'll fucking shoot, I swear to- As his casual saunter transformed into a run, charging right at me, I pulled the trigger. With my shuddering extremities and almost crippling fear, I can't honestly say if I meant to fire that bullet into the wall or if my aim was dramatically altered at the time. But when my pistol discharged, the man instantly turned, sprinting back through the door. 
I ran after him, hoping that I could stop him before he dove back beneath the earth, but he didn't stop. By the time I reached the tree line, my side splitting from the hastened sprint, I could only make out his silhouette while he darted between the trees ahead. Moments later, while I stood in that same spot, my heart still racing, I heard the sirens drawing closer. Even with my harried thoughts all over the place, I knew it would not be the best idea to greet the officers with a gun in my hand. So I headed back into the cabin, set it down before walking back outside. Two cars pulled up, one of which containing the two officers from before. If nothing else, that saved me from having to explain the entire story again. I did feel a little apprehensive about my having gone against the recommendation of the operator charging out with my gun in hand, but Officer Grange said he would have likely done the same. It was honestly quite impressive how quickly the four got to work on investigating the scene. They didn't take them long to uncover the truth behind the man's appearance from beneath the ground either, peeling open the well-camouflaged flap that blended seamlessly with the surrounding terrain. While they wouldn't allow me to descend with them into the underground structure, what they did reveal to me about it may haunt me for the remainder of my days. The two who climbed down there were pale and shaken when they came back up, one of them retching across the leaves. With the scent emanating from below, my guts almost rebelled as well, so I can only imagine how much more potent it was inside. Without being too descriptive, they told me about the scattered bones, traces of viscera, gore, human waste all over the sizable structure. The underground dwelling, which was only one wide but well-furnished room, reached under the cabin itself. Though Officer Grange told me there didn't appear to be any trap doors or hidden entrance into the house, it still left me horrified, knowing that the stranger had been right beneath me this whole time. It would appear that this man had been living in there for quite some time, feeding off the wildlife he dragged into his domain. They found Max, unconscious but still grasping onto life, my heart breaking as they carried him out. He was in bad shape, with multiple oozing wounds that looked to have been made by human teeth. Did this man devour these poor creatures raw, feasting on their flesh while they still fought to survive? How did he keep them from fighting back while he ate them alive? Would I ever be able to get this image out of my head? Within the day, more vehicles showed up, sailing off the area to fully investigate everything. I would have to relocate while this was ongoing, but I was not planning to stay either way. Suffice it to say, I'd lost my desire to live out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm... Very happy to report that Max recovered from his many brutal injuries. He has a few limitations, a limp on his right foreleg, and he's not quite as sprightly as he used to be, but I can only imagine how much of an experience like that can traumatize an innocent dog. He's slowly coming back to himself, and I make sure to let him know every day how grateful I am that he survived this nightmare. It's been... Some months since I moved away from that cabin, having relocated to a well-populated suburban street. Yes, I'm still not a fan of being surrounded by people coming and going, but I find a certain degree of peace in the sounds of 
garage doors opening, cars driving by, and children playing outdoors. At least I know where those noises are coming from. They never turned up anything on the man who lived beneath the ground, just outside that cabin in the woods. They did, however, discover that not all the bones belonged to animals. I can't help but wonder if the previous residents of that little house did indeed move away, or if they lived out the remainder of their life in that forest after all. Somehow I have a feeling that no matter what happened that day, I would have been vacating that cabin one way or another. Yeah, I think I can get used to the life of a suburbanite. Thank you.